For this episode, I bring you Trav from Fight Smart. If you want to enhance your martial arts skills or learn how to fight, learn how to take down bigger opponents, learn how to fight multiple attackers and stuff like that, this is definitely the site for you. Uh, Trav has a site and also a YouTube channel with uh, tons of free videos. If you want to step up your training and get a deeper instruction, you can also buy some of his reasonably priced uh, videos and online courses. I actually got into the head movement course, and I'm working through it right now, and it's, uh, it's pretty killer. It's definitely saved me a few black eyes in uh, training sessions. So anyway, his site is howtofightnow.com, and on YouTube, it's Fight Smart Trav. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by my coffee company, Savage Gold Coffee. For podcast listeners, you can use the code COFFEECREW2015 and get a nice 10% discount on all purchases. There's also some affiliations. I have uh, on it, NatureBox and Dotsasara. So if you just head on over to everythingwentblackmedia.com, check out the links, click through, buy something, and I get to uh, keep the lights on for one more month. Well, I'd like to thank you. Uh, you're a busy guy uh, for taking some time out of your schedule to um, you know be part of this episode. It's uh, the second episode of the year, so, uh, you know, just gearing back up. Nice. So a few months ago, I was on YouTube just kind of surfing around, looking at various, uh, you know, martial arts uh, types of videos, and um, I came across um, a video called How to Win a Street Fight with Head Movement. And uh, in this in this video, there's this maniac who's uh, out there challenging guys to hit him and punch him in the face and just kind of slipping punches and demonstrating how superior head movement can uh, can save you from uh, getting beat up uh, in certain occasions. So um, did you did you film this in Philly? Because Philly seems like the kind of place where uh, you can get punched in the face pretty easily. <laughs> no, this is actually in uh, in Red Bank, New Jersey, kind of uh, middle-class suburbia. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. And I was turned down more times than I got uh, acceptance, so... Yeah, a lot of people don't want to have any sort of, uh, they want to avoid uh, physical conflict as much as possible. Yeah, or just, you know, uh, being duped into some type of, I don't know, everyone always thinks they're getting tricked into something. Like, they're going to punch me in the face and I'm going to sue them, or I don't even know. Yeah. Well, what, what you know, there's a lot of uh, martial arts videos out there. Um, you know, some are very basic, you know, showing like guard passing techniques and basic boxing, but... There's not a whole lot about head movement out there and sort of avoiding uh, getting struck. And that's right. really the first thing that, gra- that sort of grabbed me. And then I explored the whole, um, you know, sort of world that you created online. So uh, basically, 
what inspired you to uh, to start a site like this? Like, you know, basically, Fight Smart is is uh, you know kind of a comprehensive uh, martial arts uh, course series. Well, you know, I, I gave private lessons in martial arts for a really long time. You know, back in the day, I started at you know making forty bucks an hour. Oh, hold on a second here. I'm locked out of my own computer. Uh, I apologize. Can you still hear me all right? Yeah, I got you. You're coming loud and clear. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, no my problem. computer went to sleep, but I didn't know that was affecting something. So, basically, for many years, I gave mixed martial arts private lessons. And, you know, I started out making 40 bucks an hour and then eventually 50 bucks an hour. And, you know, even when I was working my way up to, like, 60 and 70 bucks an hour, I realized that I was never going to uh, retire uh, or you know, have enough money for a house or a life and family. Uh, if I was just basically just getting punched uh, in my hands by one person every hour. So I just, I, I kind of realized that the best career route would be to try to find a way to pass along all the stuff that I had picked up and that I'd learned and that I had been teaching for so many years to, uh, I guess, as many people as possible. So, you know, it, it was kind of a, a strategic employment decision, I guess you'd say. Yeah, because, I mean, now your reach is global, basically. I mean, anyone who has a computer can access the information you have. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the way to do it. So how did you get started in training? Uh, you know, did you start, like, you know, basically when and what, what styles of fighting did you start in? You know, I used to be a, a huge uh, power lifter and, and bouncer and college football player. And... You know, I used to work out at a gym uh, near my home in the summertime, and I ran into a buddy of mine who had started training at a mixed martial arts school. And, uh, you know, he was just like, dude, this is right up your alley, man. You should really come in and, and see what it's like. And I went in there, and you know, this is not like a traditional mixed martial arts school where they have any interest in selling you memberships. This just happened to be like the little hole-in-the-wall spot where like six or seven pros uh, always worked out. So... I went in there thinking I was huge and tough and a savage, and I got the crap beat out of me extensively by a guy who was like 155 pounds at the time. I think I had uh, uh, more than 100 pounds on him, but I couldn't even get a hold of him. I couldn't get anywhere near him and, um, you know, just left with a very sore face. <laughs> so as a result, I, it, it kind of forced me to redefine what I... You know, my concept of power entirely, you know, my concept of, you know, what it meant to be a powerful individual was, you know, how much weight could I pick up off the ground? Um, you know, how, who can I push off of the defensive line of a football field? And I always had this illusion that uh, I really knew what I was doing and that I was a tough guy. And, um, you know, that I guess that day kind of represented the crashing of my illusion. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of replaced one obsession for the other. You know, I, I moved from the whole strength training uh, side of physical activity to uh, to martial arts, and I guess the rest is kind of history. Did you approach it as, like, MMA, as, like, one discipline, or did you start with grappling, or, you know, did you have, like, a background in boxing? You know how, like, a lot of times there's a similar Right, there? yeah, the, you know, the the place where I went, yeah, we, we would do some stand-up. You know, it was really kind of comprehensive mixed martial arts. You know, there were certain times where we were doing... Uh, rounds of the little gloves where we, you know, go stand up all the way to the ground. You know, Tuesdays and Saturdays were jujitsu class days. The rest of the days were stand up fighting days. So, you know, just kind of took a little bit at a time as it, as it came. You know, you 
learn two moves, you try to incorporate in your style, you learn two more moves, and uh, you know, after a couple of years, you actually know something. So I'm assuming you guys didn't grapple with uh, the gi. It was probably all just no gi. You know, yeah, so. not at that school. You know, maybe uh, I'd say six months to a year after I had left that school. Actually, you know what? I was when I started going there. I, I think it was uh, summer before my freshman year in college. So when I went to college, then I started training at a, a, a gi jujitsu spot. Uh, for a long time, yeah, well, gi and no gi, of course. Yeah, um, and you know, I did some gi stuff, but you know, it's it's only recently, maybe uh, after after ten years of no gi jujitsu, that I'm actually starting to get into you know doing some work with the gi. Yeah, it's it's a different. They're two different games, man. You know, a hundred percent. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Like the the black belts just can toy with you when you have that stupid outfit on. It's nuts. Yeah, I kind of I think it's important to do both. Honestly, I think it's good to master both uh, systems. You know, it's just it's about using what you have. You know, if uh, if a guy picks a fight with me outside of the bar today, you know, it's you know twenty degrees outside. He's gonna be wearing a coat. He's gonna be wearing a jacket. There are hundreds of ways I could potentially choke him with that. So it's almost like it's irresponsible to not know how to use uh, a heavy article of clothing uh, to your advantage. You know, there's plenty of times where your passes are made ten times easier just by grabbing a pant leg or, or whatever it is. So it's all about using what you got. Did you ever uh, get into the world of competition? Did you ever do any competing in MMA? Yeah, I did. I, I had, a, a, I think, three professional fights. Uh, I won the first two. The first one I won up with a, I guess it was a, a TKO. You know, I need the guy in the body, knocked his wind out. He kind of collapsed. And then it was just the, the hammer fist game until the ref stopped it. And then the second time, uh, I hit the guy with a couple of really nice body shots, uh, you know, about a minute left in the round, and he didn't answer the bell, so I guess he, he quit on the stool. And then the third time was actually a split decision loss for the uh, combat in the cage 205-pound uh, championship. So, I don't know, one, one judge scored a 3 nothing me, the other two scored a 2-1 two to one for the other guy. Did you ever do any amateur MMA before that, or just straight into the professional fights? No, nah, just straight into the professional fights. Um, you know, I don't know if we had the same type of requirements um, back then. You know, I did do some some grappling competitions. I, I did okay, but you know, my, my wrestling has never been all that stellar. Um, so you know, it's never never really my thing. Did you uh, you ever do any wrestling like in high school or anything like that, or just? No, I wish that would have been awesome. You know, what a huge, amazing advantage. If you don't wrestle in high school, I don't see how you can pick that up later in your career. You know, I don't know how the hell George St. Pierre did it, other than, you know, obviously being invited to train with, like, the Canadian Olympic team constantly. But, yeah, that's one of those things where I find it's good to have, like, four years of forced practice after school, uh, you know, every day uh, to really get the, the hang of it. Yeah, GSP being being like such a high level wrestler, you know, at his at the you know last couple last years of his professional career, he looks like a natural. I mean, that guy's just like a stud athlete with like an incredible grasp of movement. I think, and that's you know what how he was able to do that. You know, yeah. I mean, look, if you have the resources, you know, I think that it's you can do it. You know, for me, right here, sitting in the middle of Pennsylvania as a, a working adult. You know, I don't even know, I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, call a high school coach and see if he offers private lessons. You know, I tried to go to camps and stuff like that. And then you end up like, you end up doing a bunch of bizarre shit from the ref's position. 
You know, and it's yeah. like, oh God, I'm here to learn how to take people down instead of, I'm actually learning like the final, finer details of irrelevant wrestling. So yes. that's one of those things I've, I've definitely struggled with a little bit in my career. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, especially if you were just going to do like straight up like collegiate style wrestling where they're focusing on, uh, you know, pins as opposed to submissions. Yeah, you know, they're, they're trying to roll a guy, you know, and you know, meanwhile, you could just be taking his back and choking him. So it's, again, it's kind of a conflict of interest. I really think the only way to do it is just, you know, just get private lessons. You, know, you got to get like a, a, a guy who will give you a private lesson and then have a training partner. You can just work that lesson with for the entire week and, uh, you know, be diligent with it. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's one of those things that's just going to kind of elude you and you'll end up having that sloppy shot forever. You know, that, that not wrestling guy bent over off balance shot where you just get guillotined. So, um, you know, last year I, uh, you know, I got into your, uh, you know, I joined up to your, your, your membership here and I, you know, I got the, uh, the MP3, uh, striking workout and the, uh, the, nice. head, the head movement, uh, you know, course basically. Nice. And, uh, you know, striking, just that striking workout, it's great. You know, that those times when you're just on your own, you know, like open mat, pop on some headphones and just like follow, basically you lay it all out. You know, you don't have to worry about the rounds or anything and just call yeah, out the techniques. And the, uh, the head movement seminar, the head movement, um, course, I mean, you know, I just, I started that recently, been kind of diligently poking away at it, but, uh, but yeah, maybe what other kinds of, uh, courses do you have available? Cause I mean, I found those two very, very useful and I'll probably move on to some others. You know, the, the other courses that I have, so I, I, I took kind of a turn, uh, in my video making career, you know, once I had a, a couple hundred thousand subscribers, you know, I, and I'm, I'm sitting there making videos for people, and I'm a mixed martial artist, so I don't necessarily have the same mindset as as my members. So at some point, I started asking uh, what people wanted to see, and the number one thing that I got back was uh, how to fight larger people. Uh, number two response was how to fight multiple attackers. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, number three was like how to deal with people with knives. And then, you know, just <laughs> it got, you know, some of it was obviously uh, mixed martial arts relevant. I got some uh, requests for takedowns and the yeah. you know, top five best submission moves and stuff like that. But for the most part, it, 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 you know, the whole evolution became very situation specific with respect to my program. So I kind of applied a mixed martial arts mindset to, you know, those, uh, those problems, you know, the, you know, when you're fighting a bigger guy, you know, he's got a longer range than you. He's heavier than you, probably stronger than you. He could probably knock you out easily. So we got to get you inside that guy's range. So obviously head movement is a great way to do that, being hard to hit while closing distance. So I broke down a ton of moves that Mike Tyson used to make. Um, you know, then I started studying a lot of what Hicks and Gracie and Hoist Gracie used to do. Uh, again, closing distance, pushing people up against the wall, and then just hitting them with a basic body lock takedown. You know, guys twice their size, they were taken down. And of course, they just pass. And, you know, look, once you're, if you're a good jujitsu guy, once you're, you've moved to a dominant position, it doesn't even really matter how, how big the other guy is. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty much just a matter of time before he's gassed and you're choking him or, um, you know, hitting it with any other number of moves. So again, I, then I obviously catered the ground game to be stuff where, you know, you're, you're not fighting for an arm bar against a massive guy. You know, we work on ways to isolate the guy's one arm so you can attack the other one. And, you know, I, I just, 
I just did a lot of research to, you know, to make sure the, the stuff that was, you know, that I was thinking was the way. And then, of course, I just kind of broke down a bunch of different avenues that you can, that you can move from there. Oh, and of course, ways you can take down huge people because, of course, you can't get them on the ground. How are you possibly going to choke them? It won't work. Yeah, the, I've been really jazzed on the head movement stuff because, uh, you know, I, I mean, my striking background is in Muay Thai. So a lot of that, you know, there's not a whole lot of head movement in the way the ties teach it. You know, it's kind of just moving forward and blocking and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. A whole lot of uh, absorbing punishment. It's like, it's like I can hurt you worse than you can hurt me in a short amount of time. Yeah, it's yeah, like, definitely, you know. And, <laughs> who can deal with this massive amount of damage that we're both going to absorb? Yeah, you know, and, and uh, you know, Western boxing, obviously, you know, you watch, like, you know, some of the greats out there, uh, like Bernard Hopkins, especially, a guy like him who doesn't get hit a whole lot, and you're, you're watching, you're, like, seeing great head movement and just great movement in general. And, you know, one, that's really what drew me into this is because um, I wanted to incorporate some of that into my own sparring. Um, and so far, it's been, it's been working out great. I've been getting hit less in the face, <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, uh, you know, less black eyes, you know, walking around. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's been going really well so far. Yeah, but, good, man. Good. Yeah, you know, once you start getting harder to hit, then you just need to be, you know, faster to the counter punch. So it's like, you know, quick, boom, boom, you know, slip punch. And, and that's when it gets really cool. You know, when people are just trying to sit there and paw you with a jab, and instead they hit nothing but air and get cracked in the face. You know, that has one of the most resounding effects on a fight that, you know, I've ever experienced. Because all of a sudden, people start to mentally associate them throwing a punch with being punched in the face. And then all of a sudden, they don't want to punch you anymore. So it's awesome because you just get to rip your offense at somebody who's, you know, scared to punch. And, uh, you know, that to me is fun Muay Thai. Yeah, and also when someone misses, it's like... You, I mean, it seems like you, you use up a lot more energy when you're punching air as opposed to, like, when you're making an actual connection. Yeah, well, that guy is responsible for stopping his own punch, whereas your body or a heavy bag previously would have dealt with all that momentum and force. Now he's got to deal with it and, you know, remain balanced. That You know, I even see that just uh, shadow boxing versus uh, working out on a banana bag or something like that. It's like, you know, you're shadow boxing, you're... you're throwing kicks and punches at air, you know, elbows and things like that. And I always get a lot more tired when I'm shadow boxing than when I'm actually working out of the bag. Interesting. Yeah, good for you. I mean, you know, I find a lot of people shorten up their punches to, like, the heavy bag length. You know, you don't see a lot of people throwing real long, hard punches when they're shadow boxing. You know, and to me, shadow boxing should basically be mimicking what it's like to miss every punch. You know, you should be really winging your, your fists out there so that in the moments where somebody does slip your punch, you're not falling on your face, you know, because you've been there and you've trained it enough. That's where your uh, your MP3 course comes in really handy because I've tried it both uh, as just shadow boxing to your, you know, your call outs and uh, training it on a bag. Because, like, you know, sometimes, usually I train down at the camp, but, you know, sometimes I'm at just like a regular gym, and uh, but they don't have any of that equipment, and I still want to get some, you know, a good training in. And um, so you can still use that MP3 workout for just, you know, against the bag or just shadow boxing, you know? Yeah, no, I love it for that, man. I love it for that. It's great. Do you, uh, do you follow any, uh, any combat sports as a fan? Uh, as far as... You know, you know watch UFC, no, I, Glory, and that stuff. 
I do try to watch a UFC. You know, I, I watch the Cormier and, and Jones fight. You know, I don't catch them all, but every now and again, a fight will interest me. You know, you could probably, if you named a fighter who is prominent in the UFC now, there's a chance I might not even know who he is. Um, but you know, I, I I do try to keep up on it a little bit. You know, I have a lot of people who share good fights with me. So you know, if there's a crazy K1 fight that happens or. Uh, you know, stuff like that. I'm, I'm still in the loop, but, you know, I'm kind of doing my own thing these days. And Dana White does an exceptionally good job of making that crap not free. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it is, man. Yeah. It is definitely difficult to find UFCs on torrents or YouTube or otherwise. So I blame him. Yeah, he's got it locked down pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're based in Pennsylvania, right? Yep. Yeah. I just recently I saw this guy named Paul Felder fight. And he's a he's a, a Philly PA guy, and uh, he came out. I'd never heard of him before, and he uh, he knocked out Danny Castillo with a you know with a spinning back fist, and it was like one of the most technical striking, some of the most technical striking I've seen in mixed martial nice. arts. Yeah, I've, I've sparred with Paul Felder uh, a few times actually. You know, I, I actually have a, a hilarious picture. Paul was uh, he was in some like uh, theater production. Of some sort in Philadelphia, and I was walking down the street, and it was like it's like Paul Felder in Pretty. <laughs> you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's this glamour shot of Paul Felder, so I made sure to uh, to snap a picture of it with my phone. So I'll send that over to you. Maybe we can make some some fun of him. A little bit. That's awesome, man. Because he he I never I got to say I've never seen any of his other fights, but now he's somebody I got my eye on. Um, yeah, it's really funny because, you know, I remember sparring with him. And I'm a, I'm a bigger guy than he is. Yeah. But I remember doing pretty well with him. You know, I, I remember defending uh, the the majority of his stuff. Um, and then, you know, I, I, he went on to beat the crap out of some guys who I had a lot of respect for uh, around the Philadelphia area. And you know, now he's in the UFC knocking people out. So it's cool, man. Cool to see a guy uh, come up like that. Just, you know, good old-fashioned hard work. I mean, that dude's not any type of exceptional athlete. You know, he's just been uh, ripping tie pads for, uh, you know, 10 years now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He looks like a grinder for sure. You know? Yep. So, you know, I'm based in New York City, and, uh, you know, MMA is illegal. Professional MMA is illegal in this state. Right. And uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Like any... <laughs> uh, you know, New York... New York is its own anomaly. I mean, you can't even walk into Manhattan with a, a, a firearm or else you get a... It doesn't even matter who you are. You're in jail for multiple years. You know, and that to me is a constitutional right. How the hell they take that away? So they got their own... You know, New York is pulling in more cash money than anywhere in the country. So, to be perfectly honest, I think they're looking at it. They just don't need the revenue, you know. They just don't. They don't need. Uh, they don't need the hijinks. You know, <laughs> local MMA competitions are a mess. I mean, it really is a bunch of meatheads and a bunch. You know, it's like it's like the guy who's fighting, and then fifty guys from his team or his school. So there's a whole lot of machismo and flexing and affliction shirts. Uh, in the crowd, and I, I think New York has probably seen enough of that in New Jersey to be like, all right, you, you can keep that shit over the river. Yeah, I, can, I think about like some of the smaller cities, though, like Albany or you know a town like that, where it's you know like sort of economically 
having like a huge UFC event like that would do like you know would set some yeah. people up for like you know a half a year or something like that with income you know what is their reasoning have they ever made it public it has something to do with uh, unions and uh, the Fortita brothers it's specifically UFC not MMA in general that's what I've gathered from the whole thing it's like specifically oh, okay. like some sort of political thing between um, Dana White's crew and the Fertitas and some some like you know that's funny how, how stupid is that that some dickhead union thinks that they somehow have a monopoly on any stage building and or breaking down or entertainment labor or whatever their yeah. field of labor is man somebody should shit on their doorstep yeah you know and, and, and they just you know Politically, they they reflect that sort of idea that no, it's just barbaric and it's like human cockfighting and all this other stuff. But you know what's you know what's barbaric is the standing eight count in boxing. You know what right. I mean? I think that's yeah, barbaric. Recover just enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean let's, that's let's let you let that dizziness get away. Don't worry about the concussion that you just got. You're good. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know that probably if you if you did a case study on how many people had like some serious head trauma. And they continued fighting versus, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, getting called a TKO, getting a TKO call from, like, some ground and pound or something. You'd be surprised. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I mean, anytime the sport is solely based around, you know, bludgeoning the guy in the head enough to make him fall over, you're probably going to have a, a higher instance. And, you know, that sport has kind of become garbage anyhow. It's unfortunate. I mean, it's, you know, boxing is an amazing sport. There's a, a, a greater, you know, it's... You gotta look at it like this, you know, with MMA you have so many tools and there's so much stuff to learn. In boxing, the fact that it's limited to just your hands makes you have to, uh, you know, kind of apply a deeper focus to certain parts of the game, you know, creating angles, being uh, deceptive, uh, you know, so as to set up your strikes. You know, if your strikes can only come from either the left hand or the right hand, uh, they're, they're easier to, to defend in that sense. So there's a sophistication to it. You know, that's, I guess that's why they call it the sweet science. But then, you know, when you look at like a guy like Klitschko who just who tries to keep you at range, and then anytime you get inside, he just hugs you and hugs you and hugs you until the ref breaks you up. Or when you watch somebody uh, beat the crap, like with the Manny Pacquiao fight versus yeah. uh, what's the guy's name where he lost the decision, and it was just like, what fight were you guys watching? You know what? I just I literally just wasted an hour watching this fight. You know, there's um, there's something going wrong in that sport, and it's unfortunate. And yet, those guys are still making twice the money that MMA fighters are making. How the hell does that happen? Yeah, that's that was I was actually going to bring that point up is that these these guys the purses that they fight for. Um, but also, I think the way boxers are paid isn't it just like there's an agreed contractual amount that they get paid where. In, like MMA, you get, you know, if you get finish of the night or whatever, you get these bonuses. Right. Well, I, what I'll tell you right now is that, you know, the Dana White had just has a stranglehold on what people are getting paid. You know, yeah. like Rich Franklin, I, I heard that Rich Franklin, to fight Anderson Silva the first time, that, that was like that was like the fifth fight in Rich Franklin's five-fight deal. So you got like a five-fight deal. Let's say it's for, you know, if you're the champ, I don't know, $250,000 for five fights. Or maybe it's more than that. I don't have any idea. But he had already made the first, like, 245000 So his fifth fight against Anderson Silva, he made, like, 
five grand and got his, got his <laughs> title taken and just got his face rearranged. You know, I don't see how it, it's even possible with boxing unless it's like um, unless they're they're making more money off a TV endorsement because you know people aren't buying a ton of tickets. You know people aren't buying a ton of these pay per view events. So I, I almost suspect that there's got to be some type of money laundering going into this. Oh yeah, I mean oh. his, historically, you know, the, it's it's been a pretty crooked, you know, sport. You know, yeah. Have you seen? There's that documentary. Um, I think it's on HBO Go or something like that with um, about the Klitschko brothers. I haven't. Oh no. man, it's really really interesting. Um, yeah, there's a there's like this uh, scene in there where uh, Don King is uh, trying to court those guys to like sign to his uh, management company. And uh, that pretty much demonstrates everything that's wrong with uh, with boxing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it always seemed um, always seemed pretty nefarious to me. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for the the Klitschko's. I mean, obviously the dude, you know, he hasn't lost in how many years? It's absurd. You know, I just don't like his fighting style enough to really get behind him. But yeah, yeah, I agree with obviously, that. Obviously, a beast. You know, and I feel like he's made he's made enough money. You know, he's got he's got enough lawyers and whatnot. He's not getting taken advantage of at this point. I would just be like, hey man, just talk to talk to that guy that I keep over there with the briefcase and leave me alone. So let's talk about the site and uh, you know that sort of stuff and you know your 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 whole uh, operation there. Uh, yeah. You know, so people, uh, you know, there's, there's a few people that listen to this that train. You know, so sort of a wide variety of people listen to this podcast. And so if somebody was to go and check out. Your site and your YouTube channel. Typically, what's the kind? What kind of information would they find there? Well, in the YouTube channel, it's it's mostly striking. I only put one jujitsu move up there ever. It was like a kind of a cool uh, footlock setup off of a single leg, and, and just people weren't that into it. So, I feel like my crowd is mostly a uh, you know stand up fighting, but you know, for the most part, it's you know. People who come to my site, if they want to learn some martial arts techniques that work uh, and that will definitely work in a fight, they're they're guaranteed to get that. You know, that's the one thing I can always always promise. You know, a lot of people around the world partake in martial arts that just give them a false sense of confidence, and I think most people kind of know it. You know, most people do karate. I've had people email me and like, I've been doing karate for years, and I just I don't even know if this stuff will work. How do you do something for so long and you don't know if it will work? You know, the, the true test to me for any technique or any move or martial art is whether or not it works in a damn cage. You know, if you can do this and you can make this work against another skilled fighter or another professional fighter, then you know damn well it's going to work on the street. So essentially all I've done is I've taken uh, effective setups for both stand-up striking combinations, big punches, uh, jiu-jitsu moves. I've broken them down so that they're pretty step-by-step, -step, easy to learn. And I do a good job of just trying to uh, cover all the important stuff. You know, on the, the bright side about being a, a, a personal trainer for this kind of thing was, you know, I wasn't giving classes where I was just yelling out combinations to everybody. I, I kind of had to, you know, scratch my head and, and look at people meticulously and, and figure out why their punch sucks and somebody else punch, so, uh, somebody else's punch doesn't. You know, why does this guy not have any power? Then you, you know, as you're breaking down everybody's form, you kind of realize, you know, what the important coaching points are. Like, oh, you really got to pivot your foot on that hook, or you really got to turn your hip over on this roundhouse. 
So, you know, in having done that for so long, I just feel like I found a way to to communicate the important points in such a way that, that people can get them and they can focus on them. And, um, you know, I try to give as many uh, uh, tips with respect to training this stuff as possible. And then, hey, now that you have a big roundhouse and now that you can take somebody out with a, a single kick to the leg, here's a couple good ways to set it up. You know, crack the guy in the face with a jab, then pivot for your roundhouse. You know, you're 99% more likely to, to hit that strike. So I guess what you, you know, if I was to summarize it, uh, you could pick pretty much any element of mixed martial arts, except for wrestling. I don't have a ton of really good wrestling stuff on there, again, because I'm not a great wrestler. But if you were to pick between striking or jujitsu uh, and go to my site, you'd have a, a pretty good mix of some techniques that'll work really well and some setups that'll work really well. And then if you want to learn how to fight bigger people and, and do a bunch of random shit like that, uh, you can do that as well. Multiple attackers, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, that's, that's the course that I'm actually editing right now. It's on my screen. Do you, uh, do you do all the production stuff yourself, or do you got people to help you with that? I get a little help now. I mean, I used to just set up a camera, a tripod, and uh, stand in front of it. But, you know, I've, I've filmed enough shitty footage and, you know... Man, I can't even tell you all the, the, the crap that I'm like filming for four hours, not realizing the microphone was off. <laughs> oh, yeah. So at this point, I do I do hire a camera guy, but I do all the editing and stuff myself. You know, I feel like that's where you actually, uh, you know, you get an opportunity to to be a little bit, uh, I guess, artistic, so to speak. You know, add a little personal flair or humor to the video and uh, that kind of thing. So, um, like on the paid courses, there's a, you got a lot of different types of things there too. So, you know, what, you know, just give us maybe a breakdown of like, if you wanted to spend a little cash on learning stuff, like what might be available on the site? Well, you know, good, I think the MB3 workouts are a good uh, introduction. You know, if you don't want to put forth a, a heavy investment, um, you know, like you were saying before, it's a half hour workout where I call out a bunch of combinations for you. All you have to do is put on a set of headphones or throw on a speaker, execute the combinations and you'll build a, a pretty good assortment of techniques. You know, I think that striking one is a good, well-rounded uh, mix of both knees and roundhouse kicks and stuff like that. And, you know, of course with that, you get uh, a series of lessons where, you know, I break down the techniques that you're going to be using uh, in the workout. So if you want to work on the defensive side of striking, you know, I have the, the head movement uh, MB3, learn the, a few slip techniques, listen to the workout, do the workout, and then you end up building the stuff into your, your muscle memory. You know, you don't end up with a, an 100% comprehensive uh, mastery of whatever it is you're working on, but you'll certainly get in good shape. You'll certainly build a lot of power in your strikes or sharpness in your slips, and, um, you know, you, you develop a kind of an intuitive sense for the this, this style. Then if you really like that stuff and you want to go further, the full head movement training program is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of everything that I think there is to know about dodging punches and counter punching. You know, making the guy miss and then making him pay for it badly. Uh, and, you know, using head movement to set people up just to be knocked unconscious um, the ultimate program is a, a program that I did a while back where, you know, this is before I ever had a single customer. I didn't know what was going on. I was just filming every single move that I knew. Um, you know, anything that anybody ever used against me that hurt, you know, I, I used to train with, uh, uh, Bodog and Bellator champ, Eddie Alvarez. Oh yeah. 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 Awesome dude. And every now and then he'd hit me with a, 
combination or set up. And, you know, once I caught my breath from having it knocked out, I'd be like, hey, man, what was that? And then I, you know, teach you that stuff. So anything that I've picked up from all the DVDs and books and all the nonsense I've bought, I just kind of tried to uh, transcribe in, into that thing. And then, of course, I already talked a little bit about the, uh, the How to Fight Bigger People course. Uh, you know, just basically a step-by-step breakdown. I mean, it's just kind of a, a solid fighting strategy. I mean, I use that fighting strategy, and I'm bigger than, you know, 90% of the people that I fight. Just because it's about getting in close hitting people hard, and then being able to take them down and finish them easily. You know, and I find that footlocks are a great way to beat larger people. You know, instead of sitting there fighting out a, a complex jujitsu battle, you, know, you just finish a single leg, the guy's leg is sitting in the air in the air, snap his foot. So, you know, that's, uh, again, it's a three-month course. Month number one, striking. Month number two, takedowns. Month num- num- number three, uh, finishing the guy on the ground. Um and I uh, think that's pretty much it uh, as far as the shopping cart goes. Yeah, that footlock one, I got to check that out because uh, that's what I feel like that, at least in my ground game, I'm a little weak in the you know, leg lock, footlock games. So that'd be Oh, cool man, I torture everybody in my gym with yeah. that crap. They hate it because, again, it's like if you don't go to a gym that does a lot of that, then yep. nobody does it. Nobody has it in your style. So you don't end up with the... The spidey senses, you know, you don't end up leaving your foot in the spot and be like, Ooh, I probably shouldn't have my foot there. So, you know, I end up just crucifying uh, brown and black belts with these things. And it's it's great for me. You know, it pisses them off. But I really think that's the easiest way to uh, truly beat high-level jujitsu guys, just snatch their feet. Yeah, a lot of, um, depending on where you train, too, um, like a lot of the Brazilians sort of... Um they kind of shy away from the leg lock techniques. Uh, you know, I, I train with Marcelo Garcia at his academy, and that's something that they don't, they very, they don't spend a lot of time on that. Yeah, I don't understand it. You know, that I actually just found out the other day that the, um, whatever the big jiu-jitsu federation is, they don't even allow you to, like, reap, you know, hook over a knee. or a, You can't reap the cross-side knee. You can't even get in a position to do a leg lock. Yeah. Uh, in the, the highest, like, in the Pan Ams. Yeah. That's, you'll be disqualified even just by getting into a leg lock position. And to me, that's ridiculous. You know, why? I, I don't understand what it is. Maybe it's because of exactly what I'm saying. Maybe it's because these guys are masters and and yet they find themselves to be vulnerable, vulnerable to these uh, these simple moves. So they're just trying to get rid of them. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, it takes a whole lot more effort to pass a black belt's guard than it does to uh, make it seem like you're passing his guard and just snatching one of his feet. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Eddie Alvarez, man, now in the UFC. Is he now? Good yep. for him. It's yeah. about damn time. Yeah, he... Uh, you know, he was, again, he was getting paid. He was getting well paid. He was the champ. So you know why? Why make you know twenty five to fight and twenty five to win, and then go be in the low levels of UFC where you're making ten to fight and ten to win? You know. So unfortunately, you know, he didn't. Um, you know, he hasn't been fighting in the big promotions because he's been making more money. But uh, you know, you uh, also. Most of the people listening to this podcast probably have no idea who Eddie Alvarez is. And I'll just say this. Frankie Edgar uh, used to drive an hour and a half from New Jersey on the weekends uh, just to be able to train with a guy as high level as Eddie Alvarez. Um, you know, and Frankie's a guy I grew up with. Really? Uh, you know, I, I actually uh, I, I linked those guys up. But, yeah, they used to you know drive out there to be able to bang with a 155 guy of that caliber. 
and yet nobody has any idea who he is. So it's interesting. Yeah, I've been following his career for a while, and uh, I'm also a huge Frankie Edgar fan too. I mean, he's I think you know that he might very well be the next champ in featherweight. You know, I mean, he I don't think he's going to get a shot. I know that dude. I can go on and on about what's going on in that weight class right now, but you know. Yeah, I mean, dude, he's. You know what? If you, it's his fault though. Yeah. I love Frankie. He he was one of the guys that taught me how to fight. He was a member of that mixed martial arts school that I was telling you about. The the right. Pitts in New Jersey. It was you know he's he's one of the guys, and you know he he's humble to a fault. You know you gotta be you gotta show a little attitude, Frankie. I understand you're you're trying to be the most likable guy you can be, and you're incredibly humble. But every now and again, you got to step up with some attitude and say, you know what, man, I'm I'm here to win. Like the perfect example of the the post fight with BJ Penn, yeah, where they were like, you know, somebody asked them the question, they were like, hey, man, you just you just beat, this is BJ Penn's last fight, and uh, you know, you just beat the shit out of him really badly. How did that make you feel? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I, I didn't really enjoy it. You know, I didn't really. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, you didn't see me celebrating after the fight and yada, yada, yada. And in my head, I'm thinking, you should be like, look, I don't give a shit who you put in the ring. I'm going to try to kill them. BJ, this is not about BJ Penn. I don't give a shit. I'm on a title hunt, you know, and he just won't step up and say that. And I, I think it's his lack of edge that affects his ticket sales or, or something. Yeah, I um, agree with that. So, you know, I understand why Dana White is doing it. You know, he had... Frankie as a champ for a number of fights, and I don't think he was really crushing it with those pay-per-view sales. And you know, part of it's because he's not screaming like Conor McGregor is. That's a real drag because it's 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 unfortunate that you know, yeah, it's a sport, but it's also entertainment. And you know, the bottom yeah. line is trying to sit, make money, and sell tickets and pay-per-views. So, a hundred percent, man, it, it is a it is a business. Yeah. And Conor McGregor understands that kind of WWF or WWE side of the business where you got to stand up and uh, and make some noise. You know, I'll tell you right now, I think Frankie would freaking drop that dude on his head. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, McGregor hasn't fought anyone with any real wrestling or jiu-jitsu skills either. Well, you think, you think Dana White would ever be dumb enough to put him in a no. ring with Frankie? You know, he's got a guy who people want to see fight. They want to see Conor McGregor stand up and storm this thing straight through Jose Aldo. There's no chance in hell that Frankie would ever even get the opportunity to uh, to destroy that type of promotional capability. You know, Tana well, White's not going to crucify Conor McGregor with Frankie Edgar. That, that would never happen. I mean, you know, if, if he makes a pass, I mean, everyone, it, it's pretty probable. I'm not going to say he's definitely going to beat Seaver this weekend, but like, you know, most likely he'll he'll win that fight. But after that, Dana White can't can't save him anymore. You know what I mean? It's like the UFC can't save him after he de- if he defeats Seaver because now you're in the echelons of Jose Aldo, who's a different type of savage than Dennis Seaver. You know what I mean? Right. It's like the real deal now. And, I'm yeah, not- and that's a, this to me it seems like a great opportunity for Frankie to step up and to show some attitude. Yeah. Be like, hey, uh, you know, after his next fight, just be like, hey. Conor McGregor, you you got me next, dude. I'm call, I'm I'm tired of you running your mouth in my weight class, uh, holding up belts. That that's my belt. Yeah, you, know, you got to come through me if you want to get it. And I, I think uh, I think people would like that. Uh, I would like that for sure. 
Yeah, yeah. I would like it because I, I, you know, Dana White's making so much money. I, I like to see him get messed with a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, I like to see wrenches thrown in his master plan. Well, I know you got to run, so uh, you know before we we end this, uh, you want to give like everyone like you know a, you know where they can hit you on the internet, you know Twitter, Facebook, uh, you know website addresses, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know Twitter. What was my Twitter? Fight Smart Trav, one word. But I don't really mess with the Twitter. My entire Twitter feed is like me yelling at people and customer support for, for like for like editing programs and stuff. Uh, go to howtofightnow.com. So not how to fight, but howtofightnow.com, and just sign up for the site. Uh, you know, I end up emailing you a bunch of you know cool videos, lessons, stuff like that. And if you know, if you have any questions, just shoot me an email. That's the easiest way to do it. I, you know, I can't keep up with social media. I'm not that guy. I'm from a different generation. Right on, man. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Oh, dude, my pleasure, man. Good talking to you, Mike. You got it.
Oh, oh.